Welcome to Shardcast, the Brandon Sanderson podcast, where a bunch of mega fans giving you the news, discussion, and of course, a whole lot of opinions about Brandon's works and the Cosmere. I'm Ian, and joining me is Evgeny. We really should do a thing when somebody else does the intro so people are not super thrown off. Hi, I'm Argent. I was gonna... So what you can't see there is that I have two of the Spanish illustrated editions of Mistborn, and I have the second one, and I showed off the first one in a previous episode or something. But I'm not gonna show that off because it's not a, it's not a Mistborn episode. Deal with it. Also joining me is Matt. Hey everyone, comatose on the forums, and here's a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> You've been very proud of this pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also joining us is Katie. Hello everyone. I'm Katie, or Aeonine on the forums, and I'm bringing with me the worst horror that there can be, tech issues. I don't know why the black bars of doom are closing in on me, but they are, so that's nice. I also have a show and tell. My Halloween costume this year is Brandon himself, or possibly his mustachioed evil twin. No, that's just Brandon. He looks like that. And I'm Weary Rider. Today we are discussing Brandon's use of horror in all of his works, so this will Contains spoilers for literally everything Brandon has written. Just throwing that that out there. I was just going to say some less read members of our panel may be spoiled on things. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, people. If you haven't read Dreamer, we're coming for you. We will be referencing Dreamer as the only explicitly horror story Brandon has written. As we are discussing horror, there are certain topics might be brought up. So if you are squeamish or there are certain subjects that you'd rather not deal with perhaps this episode is not for you this being said it's brandon's use of horror so Mm -hmm. you you've already seen presumably all of the content we may go into like other examples that are not Mm -hmm. so for example we talk about body horror we talk about how brandon uses body horror we might give examples examples of of how other people and other media Mm -hmm. use body horror so I don't think we're ever going to go anywhere near like actual disgusting territory, but it's your disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know yourself, make appropriate judgments. So first up, what is a genre in literature? (laughs) Oh, we're going. Yeah. Because like, because Brennan is primarily known as a fantasy author. And like, and so it's like, Genre is basically just a marketing tool. Genre doesn't really exist. Stories are stories and they all blend together. There aren't hard lines, but like, but yeah, really. It's like a collection of common markers that help readers decide if something is similar to other things that they have read before and enjoyed or not enjoyed. But mm-hmm. it, it is artificial, right? Like something with the same set of markers can be an entirely different piece and not mm-hmm. not enjoyable. And so like the big umbrella that we're going to be talking about is speculative fiction, which is the over genre that includes science fiction and fantasy, which are the big main ones, but also horror and also alt history. But that's a that's weird to me and like we're not going to talk about that it's like where like science fiction is generally future and it's like what could conceivably happen with our understanding of the laws of physics fantasy being like 
things that explicitly cannot happen according to our understanding of the laws of physics. And horror are the things that should not happen because they're terrifying. But the things that go bump in the night. It's always been a phrase I like. Mm -hmm. Things that don't go bump in the night because you never hear them coming. <laughs> that is worse. Thank you that, for that this. I will, that is I will much worse. open our channel where we talk about these things and just uh, comfort myself with some art commission that, oh, no, no, that's not comforting at all. Yep. And so Brandon is, like I said before, known for being a fantasy novelist. But he's also bringing at the trappings of other genres into his own work. Like the Cosmere itself is also very science fiction y while being a, a fantasy story. And so it's like, so like, as the person who proposed this episode, I wanted to talk a bit about how Brennan draws on horror tropes in different genres of horror as accents to the main stories he's trying to tell one of the and, and i promise this is related one of the things that brandon sometimes talks about talks about um is when he uh is talking about why he writes fantasy as opposed to other kind of more mainstreamy genres um mm -hmm. one of the examples that he gives and i don't think this is unique to him i think he got it from somewhere else is that fantasy is kind of this genre where you can have any other kind of story. Like fantasy is more of a mm -hmm. setting than it is a genre. And so mm -hmm. you can have any kind of story that you want plus dragons. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a romance story plus dragons. Yeah. I guess you could. I don't like the idea, but you could. Um, I mean, <laughs> they definitely exist. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They do. Uh, you can have uh, a horror story plus dragons. Uh, although I think most horror stories are more effective without them, right? Uh, and you can have a science fiction story plus dragons and magic. Um, I can't think of any actual science fiction stories where there are, like, I can't think of, like, space dragons, but I think that would be a cool um, one. Pern. Oh. <laughs> Derp. Yeah. And I, I think, well, it's interesting, too, because science fiction is also very... Like th these different genres, right? It's not like equivalent markers in each one, you know, mm -hmm. like some are more tied to plot. Some are more tied to setting, like you said, like the sci-fi fantasy. So I think mm -hmm. you're you're totally, totally right. And what's what's interesting is I think for a long time, fantasy, the setting was tied to a certain plot. It's like if you have a fantasy setting, you have a, a quest plot the sword and magic the farm That's, boy the chosen one you're you're finding the relic you're fulfilling the prophecy you're fighting the uh, the oppressive uh villain um kind of these broad epics and more modern fantasy and and brandon i think is one of the um big authors I, who does a lot of experimentation with this is decoupling the traditional fantasy plot lines with traditional fantasy settings and mm -hmm. mixing and matching them. And that and that's why I think he is able to use romance conventions, horror conventions um, in kind it's, of he, new ways. He talks about um, with Bridge Four in Way of Kings as an underdog sports story, mm -hmm. which is why I don't. 
Mm -hmm. But we won't get into that. Before we get too much into Brandon's use of horror, like, what are all of your experiences with, like, the horror genre in general? Like, are you big horror fans? Do you hate horror and don't like it at all? Because for me growing up, it's like, I always thought I didn't like horror. And it's mostly because the horror movies I was exposed to were like Friday the 13th, like Freddy Krueger, like all of like the slasher horror, like gory messes. And like that just did not attract me at all. But as I got older and got exposed to more like cosmic horror, I'm like, ooh, this is eerie. I like this. And so it's like, I like that Brandon, like the little touches of cosmic horror that Brandon throws in, like particularly in the last few Stormlight books. I am in a similar boat in that I, I absolutely <laughs> detest like slasher movies. And, and I don't, I, I'm sure somebody has tried to make a slasher book. And I think that's going to work even, even less than a movie because of the nature of the medium. Um, I am not big on horror. I just don't find it interesting for the most part. Like I've tried watching better acclaimed movies that are not slashers that people have recommended to me. And it's at the end of the day, it is not a genre or subgenre that appeals to me. There have been cases in history where my history, where I've landed on something on the TV or I've been in the movie and the movie has incorporated horror elements that I thought did the job they were supposed to in that they were horrific or horrifying Mm -hmm. to me. And I think in most cases that has been body horror. Like that is the thing that usually... So just the regular gore and blood and, and slashers don't really phase me like i will they will get like a start for me but then it's eh, okay that's fine but things like uh and i cannot remember the name of the movie or the tv show that was uh i must have been in my early teens if that uh it was something on tv and there was something about this person who was turning into an amphibian creature and uh not like fully amphibian but like was Mm -hmm. was getting amphibian traits and like the skin between his fingers was was growing and turning into um web webbing webbings essentially yeah Mm -hmm. and like i i to this day must like this must have been 20 years ago i remember gills sprouting from the person's neck and and that was just an image that i did not like and like and then fins on the back. So that I don't like. I know a few movies have played with the idea of like a person's lips sealing together so they don't have a mouth. Like mm-hmm. that always gets me. I don't like yeah. that. But I haven't had any real exposure to like proper cosmic horror outside of Brandon's own writings. And I think that is something that might be interesting to me. It's like, it's like the Cthulhu mythos. And it's like, I've never been able to play um call of cthulhu the role-playing game but it's it's one that i've always wanted to try because it's it's 
steeped in cosmic um cosmic horror and it's like ooh I want to try that. Or I guess uh, the the whole uh, house on the hill, haunted house on the hill, whatever that is, like that aspect of horror, like mm-hmm. psychological horror. I think mm-hmm. that sounds interesting to me as well. Um, I've had kind of a similar experience in that I kind of grew up thinking I didn't like horror for the same reason that it was like mostly gore and jump scares and I wasn't into that. And then I discovered stuff like cosmic horror, existential horror the kind of creeping psychological stuff that gets in your head and plays with your expectations and stuff like that. And that I am very much into. And then as I kind of grew up, I found out that even the even the more overt horror can startle me for a while, but it's very hard for horror to reach me and horrify me more than my own mind can, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I found that a lot of horror almost is just, like, not horrifying enough for me. But existential mm-hmm. horror definitely helps more to do that. And I actually enjoy horror a lot these days. What kind of horror is the feeling you get when you have to do your taxes and it's, like, April 10th? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah. So growing up, I had a really good friend who was really into like horror movies like the um, Jeepers Creepers and the Saw movies and all, all of those. And I wasn't a huge fan of them, but and to bring this back to genre a bit, I think what I've realized what I like and don't like about horror is tied to it as a genre. And how he said fantasy is about like setting often. Um, Horror, I think, is about emotion and aesthetic. So I like the aesthetic of horror. Um, I find that very interesting and it um, stimulates my imagination. Um, One of the things I always think would be cool, and this is why I like the Midnight Mother and Brandon uh, so much, because it's kind of this, but the the villain um from fern gully the the smoke villain oh yeah what's his name uh haxus i think or something yeah yeah anyway like he tim curry like he kind of plays it a little comedically right but like like the idea of this like smoke rotting gross pollution monster that like you melt the like slime and everything away and it's a skeleton like Oh, like the imagery of that is so cool to me. Um, and I would love to see like a a played straight um, version of that. Um, so so that's the kind of stuff I, I like. Like I like the really interesting visuals um, that horror can present. Um, and so that's why I don't, even though I historically haven't enjoyed slashers, I don't discount them entirely because I do think they can play into the, that interesting visual aspect mm-hmm. where they tend to lose me is on the other side of things with the emotional piece. I find because horror is so much about an emotional state that they can be very manipulative, which mm-hmm. all media is to some extent. But I find horror can be a little lazy or a little blatant in its emotional manipulation especially like movies like it's like okay the music's coming there's going to be a jump scare but it's not going to be anything and when you Mm -hmm. start to know the conventions it almost gets boring you know because it's like 
Um, and there, there are people who are innovating, but I, yeah, I, I think I almost take offense at being manipulated when I catch it. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, the stuff I've really enjoyed, though, um, I took in university a class on American Gothic literature. Um, okay. So like Edgar Allan Poe and uh, uh, other kind of authors in that vein. And it's more psychological. Um, some of them I wasn't a huge fan of, but again, like the imagery I found very powerful. And I also found they didn't. Horror is about strong emotion. It's about fear. But mm-hmm. it, I like it when people tie other emotions into that as well, like loss and um, or, you know, like the kind of existential, like feeling a loss of self. Um mm-hmm or anger, grief, like other things that can be tied in. One of my favorite books from that class dealt with um, the ghost of a dead child who came back as an adult to haunt its mother, which is it was like the emotions in it were so powerful. And there it was. But it was interesting because the the spirit was like sickening its mother, like as long as it was around, she was like dying and our professor, his wife was pregnant at the time. And so he got into this like, oh, yeah, like metaphorically, like pregnancy is like vampirism because the child is like (laughs) sucking all the nutrients and he was getting so into this discussion. And so stuff like that, I think horror can be a really like the way it can like reframe things we're used to looking at in different ways and with cool visuals and cool aesthetics. Mm -hmm. I I really like the the interesting thought of like, something may or may not be horror depending on your perspective. Yeah. Cause th- there's actually some things I was planning on bringing up later in the ep- um, episode where it's like of thing ideas, Brandon added to his stories that like, are not presented as horror in any way. But if you think about them, it's like, you know, that's actually pretty terrifying and I'm not okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can you can retell mm-hmm. Ghostbusters as a as a horror story. Oh yeah. To tr- transition to talking about Brandon, what are each of yours scariest Brandon moment? What is the most terror Brandon has ever made you feel? I have an easy answer to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it 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 will it will come as as no surprise after my uh bit about body horror. It's uh, the scene with Ishar's Tent of Horrors and, and specifically mm-hmm. the cryptic in there. Um, mm-hmm. I found that the other spread, I mean, other spread there are, they, they just kind of look like people and that's fine. Um, we get a brief description of a cultivation spread, which is described as like a person that appears to be made of vines, ash spread or just ash in there. But the description of the cryptic of this... It, <sighs> Yeah, a body that is humanoid, but like it's elongated, so its proportions are weird, and it looks like it's made of like it. It looks like it's wearing clothing, but it's it's hard, like like carapace, like heighten, mm-hmm. and there is a big incision on its chest. So like clearly, somebody has done work there to see what's going on, and obviously the completely terrifying head, which is just a mess. Mm-hmm of tentacles or that even in text are described as as being akin to intestines 
uh that 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 gets me i i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. say i was afraid like that's not a that's not Mm -hmm. a fear type of horror that's more of a disgust type of revulsion revulsion is a good word yeah Mm -hmm. can't narrow it down to one so i'm gonna say (laughs) two in different ways Mm -hmm. um character wise i think the scariest character for me that brandon's written that i've read is um palm in shadows of self Mm -hmm. um and i think actually like that's an example could be an example of playing with some slasher conventions in uh like not overtly but you know like she she's a killer and like it's a mystery plot but if you flip a mystery plot it can very easily become a murderer uh slasher plot right um Mm -hmm. i like that palm is always like a couple steps ahead of the heroes but in a way that's not like conventional like it's like it makes sense why she's a step ahead and Mm -hmm. the fact that she's slightly unhinged though as well and might do the unexpected things and um and of course, the Chandra are fun, um, like the whole face mm-hmm. thing. Also, of course, um, we've given the spoiler warning, but uh, that she takes on the appearance of like Bloody Tan and also um, let, let Lessie, who, who she was. Um, that whole plotline had a lot of cool horror conventions in it that I thought were played quite effectively and made her a... Uh, a compelling, scary um, antagonist. In terms of like setting or moment, the the heart of the revel um, scene from mm. Oathbringer um, when Shallon is walking through and it's just, and you're getting like to the inner layers and the people are showing more and more signs of like kind of being degraded basically because they haven't stopped in so long. And getting to Ashurt Marn and just this like sinking sense of dread and something's wrong and she's trying to do what she did with Ray Shafir but it's not quite right and so like that one like the aesthetic paired with like the emotion of like just this dread that something bad is going to happen I, I think was very effective for me in Oathbringer. The aesthetic there is is excellent I had I had forgotten about that but like the mm-hmm. feast tables in the inner circle were just full of like rotten food and the clothing of the participants are ragged and they look like they haven't slept in days if not yeah. weeks and like mm-hmm. they're desiccated it, it's mwah. i think a big thing about horror right is that sense of wrongness and you can play mm-hmm. with that in different ways but yeah it's like a feast and feast should nourish people but instead the food is rotting and the people are wasting away like that sense of something it's not the way it should be um and mm-hmm. i yeah i think that's very effective one of the circles as she goes in is just people crawling if i remember correctly yeah, yeah and their clothes yeah. are fault like their clothes are um have been worn out and it, yeah it's mm-hmm. so mine's kind of kind of a weird one it's it is very hard to choose but mm-hmm. probably one of the ones that stands out most to me is actually not in the Cosmere. It's in Alcatraz, book five, The Dark Talent. Okay. So Alcatraz, spoilers, very end of the book. Very end of the book. Uh, we've been building up to it for all these books, all these generally very lighthearted books. And Alcatraz keeps saying, I'm a bad person. I did a really bad thing. I failed people. I killed people. I did a really bad thing. 
But no one believes it because it's him and it's the tone of the books. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon takes us to a kind of spooky place, like altar of encyclopedias that are like not in great condition. And spooky shack up on a spire of rock or whatever. But even then, the setting itself isn't really that creepy. And then he kills off a character. And it's just sinking despair and pages of pure blackness where Bibliodent's soul is. And then they go up to the altar. And they say, all right, which one of you is going to be sacrificed? And Attica says, take me. And Alcatraz says, take him. And that, I think, has it stands out to me as one of my favorite moments of horror. Brandon's works for just this chilling, nothing like what we've seen in the series thus far, but completely capitalizing on what we've on what he's been saying. And also just because it's so like it's so you feel it. It's relatable. It's like, yeah, I can't blame him for saying that, but also, oh, no. Oh no, Alcatraz, Attica. And then his mindset in the the very next chapter where he's just dead silent and miserable and and the mm-hmm. illustration is just of him like he's been crying. There's just a kind of bloody hand hanging down from the altar. Mm-hmm. And his family members are going, oh no, what happened to Attica? And you just, and you know, and it's, that gets to me, that gets to me. Mm-hmm. It's a very good scene. It's, it's it one that, that's been set up for five books. And mm-hmm. it's, it's great. It's great payoff. And like you said, Alcatraz is not the series you would expect Brandon to go that dark. Which is why it works so well, in part. I'm really looking forward to reading, rereading that in the lead up to book six. Yeah. Um, but my biggest horror moment um, is one I believe I've talked about on the podcast, but I don't know if those episodes have aired yet. <clears throat> and it's when Marathi first encounters. Um, Alec in Bands oh. of Mourning. Because it's like, she described it's like this hairy creature with this flat face and eyes are just pits of darkness. And then it speaks. And it's just like, I had just recently read, um, not, not read, watched Full Metal Alchemist. And there's an episode or arc of episodes where something happens to a girl and her dog and it's horrifying. And that's what I was expecting there. I was expecting as like some sort of like terrible hemolurgic construct, like where it's like this animal, like endowed with a human intelligence sort of and it was just like, I was not okay. Especially after the, the tunnel crawlers in um, Shadows of Self, mm-hmm. you know, like he kind of oh, yeah. like sets that up a bit. And that scene from Full Metal Alchemist, I think, is 
the like for me the most horrifying thing i've experienced mm-hmm. like i do not think it has been topped at because i know exactly the arc everyone who's watched the show knows exactly yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you've watched full metal alchemist you know exactly what we're talking yeah. about and, and it, it's been memed about and yeah mm-hmm. but yeah. it's memorable yeah it is that's a really good one and it's it, and then it's a subversion right because it's because mm-hmm. then it's the next chapter and it's like she like she sees like, oh, they're not just pits of darkness. Like I can see like human eyes. Like this yeah. is a person like in a blanket. And and it's like it's that perspective shift. It's like what was originally horror. It's like we see a bit more and we we see the non-horror aspects of it. And sometimes it's the re- reverse. Sometimes it looks fine at first. And then it's like things are ever so slightly wrong. And it's like so for this next uh, um part of the episode i kind of want to talk about some different genres of horror and examples of them that brandon has used um this whole episode was originally inspired by evgeny's um horrible face (laughs) no it's it is ishar's friend experiments like this was originally a topic i wanted to bring up on our ishar episode that we did not have time for because there was a lot to talk about. As out the share does a lot of things. Because mm-hmm. at that point, um, D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, one of my other big hobbies, had just released a new supplement, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is all about running horror-themed adventures. And so it was. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about um, the Spren experiments, like, oh, I want to talk about Brennan's use of horror. And so the, the breakdown of the genres we are getting from Van Richten's Guide, because they do a really good job of breaking down the different genres of horror. They're, the only exception is we're not going to talk about occult detectives because that just doesn't fit with anything Brandon has written. So we're going to start with Cosmic Horror. Uh, so cosmic horror revolves around the fear of personal insignificance. The genre is predicated on the idea of entities so vast and so genuinely beyond our comprehension that we cannot fathom their simplest motivations. To see them is to become lost in their magnitude and the evidence that we have never, will never, and could never matter to the cosmos at large. The genre deals with how alien forces might alter us, perverting our expectations and understanding of autonomy, debasing our minds, and separating us from what makes us human. Sometimes it is the result of a process we invite. Other times it simply happens. An accident of circumstance we can only hope to survive. However you spin it, this genre involves a loss of control, an absence of autonomy, and the sense of insignificance within an indifferent universe. Okay. In addition, consider the following genre tropes. There is no good or evil, no law or chaos. Be vague. Cosmic horror emerges through imagination and the indescribable, not details. At its best, cosmic horror makes characters feel gradually unmoored from their familiar reality. Cosmic horror is about ineffable forces driven by motivations humans can't understand. Cults, forbidden books, and strange symbols form the cornerstones of cosmic horror. And then it's like, this genre has a history of framing marginalized demographics as monstrous and stigmatizing mental illness. Be aware and avoid those trips. Which, 
I, I do like that they like included a bit about common pitfalls and what not to do because it's horribly offensive. Yeah, so, that, that description is obviously very, very on the money, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of insignificance, the sense of not knowing what it is that you are looking at or experiencing or interacting with. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I see that we have a bullet points of things in Brandon's writing that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. even before we got to these points. Um, when you were talking about the the feeling of insignificance and lack of comprehension, I felt shards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because while we, for the most part, experience shards through the vessel that they uh, mm-hmm. who has ascended to that shard, um, or at least interact with that vessel in some capacity. Every now and then, we get glimpses of what the entirety of the shard is. And mm-hmm. they are these incomprehensible, vast, literally cosmic forces that mm-hmm. cannot be described. They are... I'm going I'm to compare shards to whiskey, so... Okay. Uh, <laughs> they, they cannot be described. They are... <sighs> You you understand to a small extent what a shard is about through a series of images and feelings and sounds and things that you associate this experience that you are experiencing, but they're not that. So, like uh, when Dalinar first interacts with Odium and like understands kind of what and who Odium is, some of the uh, like he, he experiences light and burning and things like that, which are not super useful or very descriptive, right? But then come a series of images and experiences that Dalinar gets. And these include the scream of a thousand warriors on the battlefield, right? That's not, mm-hmm. that's not who Odium is. That's not, what Odium is. that's not what Odium is, but it's what Odium is about. Like, so you can't mm-hmm. understand the power but it makes you think of this thing. It makes you feel that emotion. It was the moment of most sensual touch and ecstasy. It was the sorrow of loss, the joy of victory, etc., etc. Yeah, it, so, it really goes into this idea of it being so massive that like, we can only understand pieces of it yeah. that somehow create a bigger whole. Like if you, if you, I, I don't know if this is a good way of, of talking about it, but if you like imagine a painting that is a single painting that, de- that depicts a single thing, but it's so big, it is incomprehensibly big. Mm-hmm. And at any moment of time, you can only see a small portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so assuming the painting has a single subject, you get a feeling of what that subject here is, right? So here you see a battlefield. And, and soldiers in pain. And here you see a mother giving birth. And there you see someone's loved one have, have just died and they're grieving. And so you get a sense of what the painting is trying to show you, but you can never see the entire painting. And I, I think that's like, from like the description Ian read, like this key element of an unknowable, vast um, enemy or antagonist and the fear of like the loss of self, like the, the drowning mm-hmm. in that vastness um, lends itself very well to anything about shards. 
um, and like powerful beings, which which Brandon uh, likes to to write about. Um, that description of Odium you read reminded me also of how the thrill fits into this this trope very well mm -hmm. as like a mindless entity that consumes people and they lose like who they are are in a lot of respects yeah. and you can't quite understand you can't reason with the thrill you don't actually a lot of the unmade work yeah i was i was going through them in my head I don't know yeah. if it's all of them, but a lot of Not them, all especially of them. the more like emotional kind of animalistic mm -hmm. ones. Nergal, Ashertmarn, Reshafir, like they all like draw on this, um, this trope. Although I think Reshafir might be, be a little more interesting than that. Because there is the whole imitation mm -hmm. aspect, I think, touches on other aspects of horror mm -hmm. as well. Continuing the conversation about um, shards, the main one I thought of was ruin in era one it's like this implacable force of destruction and it's like yeah it's like shards are eldritch horrors if you think about them too much and it's great well and also like the shards impact on the vessels fits mm. very much in with cosmic horror as well yeah. right with the mm -hmm. way the intent can consume uh, the personality of the the vessel in some way. Like, I know Kelsier's description of ruin is kind of being like a, a puppet almost, or like a a mask, because um, he's kind of been eroded away. Um, mm -hmm. I always found that very. Oh yeah, when um, when ruin like manifests like the. The I'm, I want to say avatar, but I can't use that word because Brandon uses it to mean different things. Um, <laughs> I think they literally call it eighty puppet or vessel yeah. puppet yeah. or something like that. It's an the, image of of eighty and like spider leg like marionette string like appendages controlling. It. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's like the the loss of autonomy is like your personality does get overridden like you have to do like you kind of have to do what the shard is like unless you're like, bavadine and you are gaining autonomy but still losing <laughs> yourself <laughs> I, I was gonna say but autonomy is not splinter autonomy is mm -hmm. still alive what do you mean yeah. we have a monster <laughs> yeah we have to get those out of the way <laughs> Fun, yeah, fun, it's fun, like fun. as soon as I was reading it and like it mentioned autonomy, I'm like, oh, this has <laughs> connotations in the Cosmere. <laughs> but, um, but to talk about something non-Cosmere, it's like the Delvers are an excellent, in my opinion, exploration of this trope. It's like this vast, unknowable thing that, like, in as we see at the end of Skyward, um, not Skyward. Starsight, because we don't know about Delphers in Skyward. Um, the, the realization that like it didn't understand that like the annoying insects were alive, so it's like it's like they're on an entirely different plane. Like, yeah, it's cool. And and I think Spence's initial like encounter at the very end of Skyward, like the first book plays this like very straight like when she gets up and is exposed to like 
the the voice you, you know what i mean like when mm-hmm. it, that first like opening up moment when she kind of sees the universe like the way that. the dovers do yeah um i think gave me like kind of the feelings that are um linked or being described as cosmic horror i think kind of mm-hmm. the exposure another example that we don't know too much about yet is the evil that's on threnody which we literally know nothing about except it destroyed the homeland and made people leave but theoretically it'll be explored in the dust brigade so i am very excited for the dust brigade i'm looking forward to it but i don't know if we can say much about it i think i think the evil is one of the like very straight plays of this and maybe you can hear this in the background, but I have a very horror moment where a creature is clawing at my door. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, wondering what's it's going a, on there. It's it's a cat, but uh, <laughs> That's the why doesn't the cat things. just walk around the door? Yeah, because he can do that. Um, you know, Door- doors are incomprehensible, vast entities that the cat yeah. just doesn't know how to deal with. But uh, yeah, no, good, good horror convention. The the scratching at the door. <laughs> so so in that case, let's let's move on to our next genre of horror, which, uh, considering that I've been talking about it this entire episode, is the one that I'm going to get to read to you. It is body horror. Uh, let's see what Ian's little book says about that. Yes, my little book. (laughs) Body horror as a genre examines a universal fear, our own failing anatomies. We rarely think about what goes on beneath our skin. We understand that the organs operate in harmony. (laughs) Hey, that's a short name. Mm -hmm. Um, The heart beats, the lungs pump air, and the gastrointestinal system labors to supply us with nutrients. But we don't ponder the minutiae, like whether embryonic parasites insist in our brains or what stage of cirrhosis we might be facing or if tumors bloom deep in part of ourselves we hope to never see when creating adventures involving body horror use this lack of awareness focus on the unpredictability of flesh pull from the knowledge that even seeming robust health might be an illusion and we are not sacred beasts that we might be incubating fecund, hungry, or malicious parasites right now. In addition, consider the following genre tropes when creating your body horror domain. Physical transformations are common and might affect more than bodies. So, listeners, we have run into a problem. My tongue is not cooperating. So there's a sentence that says objects, architecture, and the natural world might be anthropomorphized. Mm-hmm. That's close enough. That, that's exactly ways. correct. Okay. We, we veered into comedy a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but let's go back to horror. Characters suffer aberrant or excessive growth, whether of organs, discordant appendages, or unnatural materials. So gore often takes center stage in body horror stories. It's often a side effect of stories about fear of change, difference, mortality, physical harm, disease, or other fears. Body horror doesn't need to be messy. 
Swapping bodies, turning to stone, or even gaining one's ideal form might all feature in this genre. Mm -hmm. The genre has a history of portraying disability as monstrous. Be aware of those tropes and avoid them. Reading this description has been an exercise in horror in and of its own. (laughs) But hopefully I said enough to Mm -hmm. cover the interesting points, right? Body horror is uh, often, well, not often, but it can be invisible. Mm -hmm. There can be something lurking beneath the skin, and often there is. Uh, Physical transformations are a big component of Mm -hmm. body horror. and. Physical shape is... Oh, and, and physical transformations of not only the body, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but um, some horror tropes deal with like the walls are now flesh and there mm-hmm. is blood dripping from the windows. That sounds like what this is, this is talking about, right? Um, yeah. I mentioned earlier haunted houses. And that trope with the house on the hill, that sounds similar where the house is like almost alive and it has a mind of its own and it's doing similar mm-hmm. things. So I am pleased that the two things in horror that I find interesting happen to be the same thing. So I'm, I am consistent with my interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that, that kind of goes into the idea of like, like e- even though we're breaking things out into different genres, like they do also bleed together. It's like you can find mm-hmm. things that are like, and I'm sure we'll come into things like that we mention under different genres. Uh, did we have anything else to add before we move on to examples? The core of these genres, it's just like, where is the horror focused? So like cosmic horror is like the vastness of the universe versus like your own body, your own like physical body. In cosmic horror, also the language to describe, as we've seen Brandon use, is very metaphorical because you're trying to give that mm-hmm. unknowable quality. Whereas I feel like with body horror, it's this really interesting balance of using very specific descriptions to kind of like mm-hmm. set those hackles rising, but then pulling back to let the imagination like kind of fill in yeah. fill in the rest you know like you don't want to go writing three pages on everything that's gross about this creature you want to do like two or three like really off things or off thoughts by mm-hmm. the character and then so it's interesting um as you were talking about language one of the things it made me think of was so two two related thoughts and i don't actually see one of them in our list of examples so that might be interesting uh one of them is describing things in a way that is intimately familiar to everyone but then Mm -hmm. invoking a feeling that is not so if you as an author uh, are describing the sound something makes as the thumping of a heart or if you are um which everyone alive is uh, going to be familiar with, fortunately. Uh, If you were describing the sensation someone is having as like pins and needles. So like these these things that everyone is very familiar with from their own body, but you're putting these experiences either outside of their body or you are invoking these sensations with that language in situations where you are not supposed to be getting that feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems like a key component 
to getting this to work. And while I was thinking about thumping of a heart in my head, I was once again reminded of the heart of the revel, Ashard mm-hmm. Martin. Uh, yeah, it's like that. Like once, like we get to see like Ashard Martin it, itself, like the because it looks like a heart, like just giant and like formed from like stuff. Uh, but it's, if I recall correctly, it's not like a normal heart. I think it it had like double the number of. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just. It's something mm-hmm. we're familiar with, but wrong. Yeah, like the impression I always had was that it's not a human heart; it was a singer heart, maybe. And that's so, like, my that's why yeah. that that weird, um, like that's not how a, my heart looks. But it's like it's close, and it's like that, like the whole uncanny valley of things being like too close but not close enough to reality the human brain does not like at all stuff like animated dolls i guess would mm-hmm. fall in in this and as we said it's like ishar's friend experiments 100 percent this like they're they're bodies that shouldn't be bodies and it's disturbing I, I think this, like, thinking about this is one of Brandon's most used horror things. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, a lot of his concepts with, like, the Contra and the Kolos. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, like, what I found when I was originally reading the series with the Kolos, where the body horror comes in, is you're introduced to them first, and they're kind of creepy, like, with the saggy skin or the stretched skin that's ripping on the big ones. Yep. Um mm-hmm. But then they become even more when you realize what they are and that they were once mm-hmm. people, right? And so yeah, that, yeah. that, and like the chilling, like, like human wanting to be called human and they're like pretending to be, nor not pretending to be, they're wanting to be people and they're like the fake money, like that mm-hmm. made the Kolos more creepy than the Kolos, like, yeah, like the Kolos ch- playing house is creepier mm-hmm. than the Kolos running at a lend with a giant sword. Yep. Um, 100%. And it's, yeah. I think you nailed it. Like the combination of it with something familiar to us is what really mm-hmm. nails yeah, the, like, the horror part. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hemallergy and constructs. It's like, it's all body horror all the time. Cause it's like the, it's like, the constructs we see in shadows of self, a bunch of mm-hmm. like bestial, human-like but not quite human mm-hmm. just terrifying creatures running at you and uh having very little pain perception seemingly and like having bodies that are more durable than human bodies and they're like mm-hmm. it's 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 touching a little bit on the zombie vibe in there mm-hmm. you know, like these are these mindless beasts that look like they have been human at some point and they're coming at you and you are throwing shotgun blasts at them and it's barely slowing them down right and to play off of zombies something that isn't really presented as horror in the book but the the elantrians and elantris like after the riode that's a zombie movie like that's a zombie story it's like they can't die and it's like just the idea of like they can feel every injury they've had 
like the pain doesn't go away it just builds and builds until like their mind breaks if if you think about it that is terrifying but it's not presented as horror in the book it's just the like, moment when i think it is presented as horror mm-hmm. is the like the Elantris plotline for Raiden is divided by, you know, the different gang leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he's dealing with, um, is it Shayor? Yep. The little girl? Yeah, the little girl. Mm-hmm. With, like, the detail of the blonde wig. Mm-hmm. Again, like, you're taking the zombie and you're giving her a blonde wig and surrounding her with these, like, kind of barbarian, um, like, mm-hmm. more mutt. Elantrians who have given in to the mindlessness um, mm. and given in to like the base impulses. Uh, Those are both good examples, both the Elantrians and the hemorrhagic constructs of the Uncanny Valley and how they're both kind of shaped like humans, but they're not, but they're definitely not like animals either. Mm-hmm. They're kind of they're kind of neither, but they seem like both. It, it hits the right notes there, I think. And then, because I don't want to spend too much time on my least favorite thing in Brandon's mm-hmm. books, um, the uh, decor monks are just a great example mm-hmm. of body horror. Like your your mm-hmm. bones twisting under your skin and forming shape. Mm-hmm. I Brandon's description of that is super evocative and and really really good. one hundred percent covering with the robes. And then, like, yep. you take the shirt off, and it's wrong underneath. Like, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. like visibly something is twisted inside, yeah. mm-hmm. both both literally and and metaphorically. The fused are literally stealing bodies and taking them over, and and changing them. It's like they do shift forms into like the shenam are like long and flowing. Um, yeah. The Fananim like have like that like a dome of carapace in the long grades. Um, the the um, pursuer is Nexim mm-hmm. has like the long hair that's like wrapped around them like a garment. It's like it's freaky. And with the fused, we also get the 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 hands coming out of the walls and grabbing mm-hmm. people. Which yeah. is a very cool mm-hmm. visual, but very body horror. Yeah. And yeah. and the description I read earlier talks about swapping bodies. Like it doesn't always need to be mm-hmm. messy. So like a, a story where two people swap bodies and one is locked or you are locked in a different body, that that fits. Um also the sleepless. Yeah. Yeah. That's Little crustaceans that build bodies that look human and- to varying degrees of skill. I, I forgot That's, about this scene when we were talking about the scariest moments, but the alley mm-hmm. scene in Edge Dancer. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's paired with a reversal. You think like the old man has been killed and then like they, they start like Eddie's like. And they asked for a contest, so I gave it to them like like it's. <laughs> yeah, a Kremlin with a facsimile of an eye on the back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that detail was creeping up by lift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, over, like all the hordlings, overwhelming Windle. Mm-hmm. And also in not Edge Dancer, the other one, shard. 
in Donshard, there's once Nick Lee has revealed himself as a sleepless, like there is a scene where it's like he gets agitated and it's like his face like splits apart. It's like you can see the cracks between the hordlings. And it's like Ooh. Another Stormlight one is the one people who use the traditional soul casters. Mm -hmm. And like the oh like the best one is this like the crystal ones are cool, but the like the smoke Casa. Casa. Mm -hmm. Like oh with the the fact that part of her cheek is yeah. perpetual like because because it's not just disappearing right it's always Smoke. smoking away and like because yeah. mm-hmm. we, we've all seen zombie either movies or shows or just depictions where somebody's skin is gone and you can see kind of the side of their skull where the teeth are and so it's mm-hmm. that same effect right but it's it's always just a, a, a hole in the flesh that is smoking away Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's a really cool image in her interlude where she is speaking with like one of the sailors who is kind of hitting on her, and then she turns to the side, and it's it's the it's her bad profile, right? It's mm-hmm. all of the smoke and the 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 flesh and the bone underneath, and he's like, uh, I'm gonna go be somewhere else now. I think uh, of the ways that works is like it's the smoke kind of half conceals it, because you know what's mm-hmm. there, but it's it's the concealment that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that also plays a factor. I don't know, that's, that's kind of what it felt like to me. Sure. And I, I just, I am thinking about, like, how Brandon uses this so much, but what's interesting, like, in the description, it talks about how body horror doesn't have to be gory. And I think that, like, because I don't think, like, Brandon is not George R. R. Martin. Like, this isn't Game of Thrones. Like, there's not, like, decidedly, I would say not gory, um, Brandon's books. Um, like they, de- there's a deliberate stray away from that, and yet the more we talk about mm-hmm. this, there are like a lot of body horror elements, and he's doing it mm-hmm. without being like particularly grisly, which is is a cool, um, mm-hmm. makes him a cool example of this. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like I wasn't expecting body horror to be the most examples of, but it's like. It's it is very interesting that yeah it's body horror. So the next uh, subject um, is dark fantasy, um, which our resource describes as um, um, as much a genre as of fantasy as it is a genre of horror. Generally, any tale featuring both supernatural elements and horror themes might be considered dark fantasy whether it's a fantasy story steeped in horror elements or an otherwise realistic world that features a supernatural terror. Dark fantasy refers to fantasy worlds where grim themes, nihilistic plots, or horrifying elements inform a fantasy tale. Evil dominates a dark fantasy setting, with depravity being commonplace and life holding little value. How dark you want to make your fantasy is up to you, but keep in mind the role of heroes and ensure places for light in your dark fantasy domain. If a domain holds no place for hope, there's also little call for resistance and meaningful plots. In addition, consider the following genre tropes. Uh, So there's 
good does not always win. Evil individuals with great power and unopposed schemes might be the norm. Uh, lines between good and evil can be blurred. Choices involve deciding which outcome is the least bad. Corruption and suspicion flourish among organizations and individuals. Magic and magic items might be rarer or require a bargain or sacrifice to use. And anti-heroes anti are common. Uh, characters who have been tainted by the world's evil. And these I, words were so much easier to pronounce. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. <laughs> They're normal one. words. <laughs> um, appropriate, I think, that the permutations of the words in the body horror section were difficult. Um, <laughs> like Mistborn 1, like the kind of what if the villain won and had a thousand years of darkness is a pretty clear outlook mm -hmm. on this. Um, and Mistborn world in general, like the world of Ash, um, the heroes, even though the crew is pretty jovial and pretty lighthearted, like the idea that returning to thieves um, to be the heroes is mm -hmm. is kind of um, in line with this. And the idea that the goal of the goal, as far as most of the characters understood it in the first Mistborn book, is not to overthrow the Lord Ruler. It's just to rob him. So yeah. yeah. Kelsier has plans, but like most of the crew like saw no reason to overthrow him. Like that's an impossibility. It's like we're just going to get as much money as we can. It's how life is. Erewhon as a whole uh, is, is so. First of all, this description just screams grim dark to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I think of like Abercrombie, like people who mm -hmm. are doing ostensibly good things, but they are themselves not good people. I'm thinking of the uh, specifically in the first law trilogy, the the torturer, Glockta. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, who was kind of a kind of a protagonist, but also just not a good person at all. Like mm -hmm. that. That's the kind of setting I'm thinking of, right? And so going back to Era One. I think it could have easily been a dark fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. And I think the only or the main thing that gets in the way of it is just how Brandon frames it, right? So, yes, we do have the world of Ash and we do have the nobles being the biggest assholes you have ever seen. Um, we do have complete oppression of the vast majority of the population and all of these things. but the framing of all of that mm -hmm. is generally more positive, which I think is a huge indication uh, of just, or not indication, but it's a, it's a signpost of Brandon's own writing. Like Brandon oh. believes that mm -hmm. people are inherently good. And so even mm -hmm. in a story where they're not, uh, he focuses on the good things, right? He focuses mm -hmm. on the crew and the camaraderie between them and how they help Vin and how Vin uh, gets over uh, her trust issues and gets to bond with them and falls in love with a noble. And hey, there's a noble who's not a bad guy and all of these things. But a different framing of, of Era 1 could have easily focused on the murders, on the bodies in the back alleys, in the rapes and the Ill illegitimate children and the beatings and the tortures and the hemallergic, like the Inquisitor... Uh, it, well, Inquisitor, everything Inquisitor, right? Mm -hmm. And the Lord Ruler's casual disregard for human life and the Ash just 
covering everything all of the time, being oppressive both physically and metaphorically once again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a framing thing, right? Yeah. And, and I think it, it's interesting because the books are initially set up in that frame, right? Like the first couple chapters are you learn about the noble practice with with Scott women on the trusting plantation. You have Vin with Cayman, which is very much you can't trust anyone. No one's good. Kind of almost setting her up to be an antihero. But yeah, Brandon's optimism for the human condition and the power of friendship saves the day <laughs> and kind of moves it, out, it escapes from the genre, right? And I think Brandon has said in interviews and stuff how he's not interested in the character types that interest him are the people who kind of rise above their circumstances. He likes heroes. Mm-hmm. Brandon likes heroes. And so even when he's playing with these dark fantasy elements, Ultimately, his protagonists are going to follow a more heroic path, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, as we said in the beginning, yes, this is an episode talking about horror, but it's still Brandon. Yeah. And it's not going to get too dark. But um, he definitely, like, even like the, the hooks the Inquisitors use and like the bleakness and the. Mm-hmm. There, and this, there's that one scene, right? And, and the scene yeah. also with the where Vin's walking out of the Illarial Ball, and a ska boy is getting dragged into the alley. Like, like Miss Mistborn, written by many other authors, would be classic textbook dark fantasy. And I think mm-hmm. the only reason it isn't, it like directly on point that is because Brandon is Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> The next one is Folklore. Folklore adventures involve traditions, beliefs, and perceptions that are passed down through generations and take terrifying twists. Those who ascribe to hidden traditions, sacrifices to strange gods, or placations to lurking monsters are everyday events. For outsiders, though, these practices reveal the subjectivity of normalcy, societal truth, and taboos. Elkhor explores fears of isolation, superstition, paranoia, and lost truths. Seemingly idyllic communities, rural reclusiveness, forgotten traditions, and naturalistic cults all frequently feature in folk horror adventures, particularly as they contrast with what majorities consider the status quo. In folk horror tales, characters often discover that their beliefs aren't as universally held as they assumed, and that those beliefs provide no defense against those who reject them. In such stories, characters discover their perception of the way the world works is in the minority, as those around them practice traditions beyond their understanding. Alternatively, characters might realize their own beliefs are lies, as others reveal unsettling truths. Communities that describe the traditions of folk horror stories are rarely tolerant of non-believers. Outsiders might be given a chance to adopt the community's ways, but otherwise are considered heretics or corrupting elements. Assuredly, their ancient traditions have ways of excising blasphemers. Consider the following genre tropes when creating your folk horror domain. Strange and potentially dangerous traditions flourish in isolated or otherwise private communities. This might mean a rural village, a lost civilization, or a cabal within a larger community. A community's surroundings often influence its beliefs. Their their traditions might be naturalistic or relate to some sort of ancient lore. Art, symbols, tools, celebrations, and other trappings of belief help help make a community's traditions more specific and eerie. 
Community members typically hide their beliefs, whether physically obscuring them or by manipulating others in power. Communities and folklore stories often serve as a grim mirror of some aspect of accepted society. Beliefs highlighted in folklore stories might or might not be true. Folklore communities often have dramatic ways of using outsiders or purging non-believers. So one thing that um, did pop into my head that's kind of coming at this from an oblique angle is the whole interaction of the discovery that humans are not native to Roshar and that the singers were the original inhabitants. And like, it's kind of, it's a stretch, but like the introduction of like the singers believe that the humans are invaders. But um, as we see with between Raboniel and Navani, it has like the humans have been here for thousands of years. They're just as much native as everybody else. So it's like, it's a thing that isn't horror, but like is starting to go down that path of like exploring this sort of thing. I I feel like this is a trope Brandon uses off screen more than on it. Like mm-hmm. we get the hints about, you know, all the Ska's little folk tales, like these small mm-hmm. and close communities um, and like the tales about the Mistwraiths. Um, uh tie into this nicely and then the of course the reveal that they aren't what the ska think they are but they're also closer like the myths come from somewhere right Mm -hmm. um is interesting um one of the Mm -hmm. things uh this isn't canon it comes from the mag uh the mistborn adventure game uh books but the concepts I would love to see is uh, the books talk about monster wraiths, which are very large predatory mist wraiths, um, mm. which, again, ties into body horror with the, all the different parts. But I think also could be a cool um, element of like a folk horror story where you have like a, a monster in the woods or in the wilderness mm. uh, that is really terrifying you can you can totally imagine like a specific ska community like a village or something and there is there are tales of a specific like massive mist wraith just mm-hmm. prowling around the village at night when the mists come out and and cautionary tales of hey you don't go there yeah mm-hmm. and so yeah that that's one uh yeah, non non officially canon thing, but I would love to see Brandon play with or if mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if we ever get like an expanded universe Cosmere where we get like Mistborn side novels <laughs> which aren't related to like the main quest, but are like, you know, mm-hmm. um set during the final empire or something in the remote dominances, you're in an isolated keep alone during the winter and there's like yeah you could do all kinds of that'd be really cool somebody write that (laughs) somebody write that canonical story isaac please um (laughs) but no you can you can totally imagine like the first forays into non-brandon cosmere being these like one-offs far into somewhere where like far away from the main story where you, we are seeing interesting character moments or like pieces of world building and things like that uh, mm-hmm. that obviously still take place in the Cosmere, 
And if they don't exactly work for people, then people can just skip them. They're not missing out on the main Casimir mm-hmm. yeah. saga. Yeah. yeah. And it's well, like exploring things that Brandon doesn't do. Yeah. Brandon doesn't go that dark. Somebody else could in the Cosmere. In that it would be an interesting exploration. Um, One way he does this, actually, I think, is uh, how he uses uh, Lyris as the the mist spirit. The mist spirit initially very much, I think, has this kind of folklore quality mm-hmm. to it, especially since the first we hear of it is in like Elendi's logbook, which has mm-hmm. kind of more of a fairy tale element. And then, you know, it's this mysterious spirit and when you don't know i think one of the troubles brandon has with playing uh folk horror straight is because his magic systems are so hard and mechanical yeah um as soon as you reveal the mechanics some of the folk horror elements start to fall away um Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a if he's gonna use it it needs to be more of like an early book yeah. Uh, a thing because i think yeah once you start to know how the the sausage is made um the the folksy elements start to be less present so i think an exception to that is in the force of hell on threnody like mm-hmm. the simple rules it's like yeah you don't run after night you don't light fires and you don't shed blood like those are very like simple rules like and but like they're so vague and evocative is a term I like. Yeah. Um, but, and it's the way those have shaped society in the, um, the, the forest of hell. Cause like it, it's not that you can't kill people. It's you can't shed blood. And it's like, it's not that you can't have fire. It's you can't light a fire. I'm again, I'm very excited for dust brigade because hopefully we get answers for or like, why are those the rules? Like, why are those the things that make the shades angry? But it, it does have that like folklore feel to it. Yeah. Well, and it's like, yeah, remote setting and then mm-hmm. the small community like guidelines, you know, like, and it's got mm-hmm. the like the shades are very horror esque, but they have that kind mm-hmm. of fey. Like, when I, I think of folk horror in like DD, I think of like Hag. Mm-hmm stories yeah you know like uh like mm-hmm. ba- like baba yaga or like uh you know you're making making a like kind of cautionary it could be cautionary tales children of the nameless oh yeah that yeah. is also something brendan wrote and is very folk horry fey and fairies are definitely the kind of thing like because there's so much mythology surrounding the fate, mm-hmm. right? The cold iron, like leaving milk out, not mm-hmm. going into these weird stone circles. There's stuff about like uh, crossroads and deals making with like making deals with fate. All of this stuff is so so folk horror talking about the fey i'm like oh like i really love the fey in D. it's like but where is that like is there anything like that in the cosmere it's like the night watcher has a ton of like folksy like lore Very. about her yeah and it's like it's 
Yeah. I'm trying to like, think. No, the the Night Watcher very much feels in this mm-hmm. in this vein. And she's not super well explained yet. So it's one that still kind of has that mm-hmm. feel. Like, you know, we know kind of okay, she's akin to the Stormfather and the sibling. Um and we know she's related to cultivation, but I, I mm-hmm. she's still we haven't seen a lot of her, so I think that the mystery element is still there for her. I do wish Brandon would do more stuff with Faye. Yeah. Yes. But and, he, does, he doesn't is. draw inspiration from real world things a lot. But mm-hmm. the Fae and the Fairy and like the, the summer and winter courts are something I wish we had more of Asmir. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere where he could do some more folk horror um, would be on Nalthus potentially um, mm-hmm. with like the returned and also with um, awakening as a magic system has that kind of like homemade mm-hmm. feel to it, like with the the little dolls and the. So, yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. cool to see like a Nalthian uh folk horror yeah it's like see like other parts of the world because brendan's mentioned like there are some regions of the world that treat returned like vampires mm-hmm. which is its own horror trope yeah yeah uh, but yeah that, that'd be really cool really cool next up a classic of horror ghost stories Ooh. Uh, ghost stories number among the more psychologically elaborate genres of horror only through re- revealing tales of tragedy and past wrongs can heroes truly bring peace to forces that share their suffering with the living. That's a very long sentence. Um, ghost stories touch on fundamental issues of human existence, the nature of the soul, the weighty fact of morality, or of mortality, not morality, and the burden of ancestry and history. Spirits represent heavy-handed instruments of supernatural justice, plunging those responsible for their deaths into a living hell where they suffer for their sins. They also represent grief in the need for closure, lingering in a place until they bring about the completion of the work they hope to accomplish in life. In addition, consider the following genre tropes. All hauntings have a deep story, and the smallest details tell it. A simple locket or portrait might contain clues that explain a haunting. Personal ties give ghost stories weight. Consider tying the heroes to spirits in ways they won't predict, such as revealing that a phantasmal villain was a hero's ancestor. Heroes are pure-hearted or unsuspecting individuals whose resolve is shaken by the story's events. Look for ways to test heroes' psychology with your hauntings. Heroes need agency, a way to put spirits to rest. Once the story is revealed, ensure the way to combat the haunting is clear. Spirits are often evil, but they need not be. A spirit might appear to warn heroes of impending doom. That's not really Brandon's thing, right? No, it's shades. So are ghosts. Yeah, the problem with ghost stories in the Cosmere Mm -hmm. is that ghosts are cognitive shadows. Mm -hmm. And cognitive shadows usually have a lot more like they almost have their own stories right so for you mm-hmm. to become a cognitive shadow you either need to be a shade because what the hell is going on in trinity or b you mm-hmm. need like 
some very specific circumstances to anchor you back into into the world of the living or the world of the mind, as it were. And if that happens, you kind of have to be the protagonist of your story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People who are like random people who get murdered on the street or in the attic or whatever don't get preserved as cognitive shadows, as ghosts. Mm-hmm. People who try to overthrow the final empire and are really pesky meddlers do. Uh, and so the, the thing with ghost stories is that they are interesting because other people are experiencing the ghost. Like, we get glimpses of what mm-hmm. the ghosts are about, but ghost stories are not from the perspective of the ghosts. And most ghosts in the Cosmere are the people with the interesting stories, right? Lightsong, Kelsier, the Fused, mm-hmm. the Heralds, all of these entities. Yeah, in a way, it's because... Ghosts are fund- were fundamentally built into the Cosmere as things that exist. It's not this like, oh, the mystery of what lies after death. Not a thing in the Cosmere. The first death. Like, who knows what happens in the beyond? That's yeah. a whole nother story. But well, so it's like, um, but like, so it's like ghost story. The Cosmere just isn't set up for ghost stories in the way that we experience them. Absolutely. I think you need the the uncertainty of the afterlife, but like some mystery or trappings of it. Whereas, yeah, with mm-hmm. with the Cosmere, we have the cognitive realm being fairly well defined and then nothing about the beyond. And also that there's a cutoff to the beyond, like nothing is coming from mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah. So I think part three i think it is of secret history um could be a ghost story if the point of view characters were the irie um yeah (laughs) absolutely but it's it's played for laughs um because it's kelsier Mm -hmm. um so you're not real it's not horror like you're taking some horror elements there but the emotion is off right which Mm -hmm. makes it because it's played for laughs um you could do some sort of horror story potentially on a if you set up the world in a way where mm-hmm. someone didn't know what a cognitive shadow was like where the protagonist didn't um mm-hmm. so threnody yeah yeah threnody it, or it would have to be threnody whereas like the cognitive shadows aren't as self-aware yeah. as kelsier as the fused Although you, you could even have a Kelsier style cognitive shadow if like there was some barrier to communication or like you were getting some unclear. You, you know, I, I think there would be ways in the Cosmere to set one up, but I definitely agree. I don't think Brandon seems mm-hmm. super interested or hasn't been thus far. Yeah, it's like also like Laros as the Miss Spirit could have gone this direction. Um, yeah, a bit. but I, I think a big piece that's missing is like the humanity of, of the mm-hmm. goat, you know, like it, I do want to bring up Dreamer, which we, we mentioned before, I think. Um, Only as, as it, we're going to spoil. Yes. Well, we're not going to talk too much about it because there's not much to talk about, but it is t- technically it's a ghost story because 
the main character is a ghost and the other characters that we interact with are ghosts that they possess people Ruined. and it's yeah it's the only explicitly horror thing brennan has written and like the, the pitch was like what if like the terrible like teenagers that played that xbox all the time actually played with real life humans and like murdered each other because it's like ghosts that like possess bodies and like one team tries to stop the other team from getting to where they are and they just straight up murder people that the other ghost is possessing it's really messed up but like it doesn't really tie into a lot of these things because it is from the perspective of the ghost we're not a bystander experiencing a ghost so Mm -hmm. let's move on to our next genre of horror gothic horror watch this one have a bunch of big words too (laughs) uh it doesn't look like it about to find out Uh, maybe sophistication gothic horror is about the terror within not without it shatters the illusion of humanity in a poignant way by holding a mirror up to us and saying look at what we truly are and look at what we pretend to be under the mask of civility there is depravity under the thin veneer of society there is wickedness under all the trappings of sophistication are we not all predators or prey Gothic horror shatters the lies we trick ourselves into believing and shows that we, not some distant entity, are and ever shall be the architects of our doom. The quest for perfection leads us to discover our own imperfection. Our quest for the divine leads us to believe we, ourselves, are gods. These are the themes that haunt stories of Gothic horror. Consider the following genre tropes. Gothic stories include intense, ever-exaggerated emotions. Romances, rivalries, and life-changing events are common in these adventures. Atmosphere and a sense of dread are key to achieving a gothic feel. Set your story in a decrepit mansion, ruined cathedral, or other foreboding location. Gothic heroes are often virtuous, deeply passionate, or courageous. Gothic villains are unrepentantly evil, but this shouldn't be immediately obvious. Drop hints about your villain's awful secrets before revealing them fully. Sacrifices feature prominently in Gothic stories. Give characters heart-wrenching choices to make. So this is where... um. Uh, my scariest moments in Brandon's books fits in. Oh. Moment where Alcatraz kind of mm-hmm. breaks and goes, take him over me. I don't want to be the one up there. It's kind of... I see gothic stories as definitely what is listed here where villains can be unrepented evil and it's all about humans being awful inside also kind of just humans being weak inside or having failures and generally and I think that there can still be a lot of very good horrific impact in recognizing that as not just 
humans are awful when they get the chance to be, but also as I could be awful if I had the chance to be. I could do things that... Mm-hmm. I could do things that might not be necessarily like straight up evil. I'm going to go murder a baby, uh, kick Yavin or like football, but also like I'm mm-hmm. going to do things. <laughs> I'm going to do things that seem kind of justified or that I know aren't, but I'm just plain scared and fear motivates me and things like that. And I think a lot of emotions really can motivate those kinds of stories kind of and and trying to hide from those emotions or run from them and then peeling the mask back bit by bit that this is the motivation this is it this is humanity um so there's that that's really good Mm -hmm. i also think miles hundred lives and how he tries to convince wax in era two of mistborn Mm -hmm. so he goes I don't have any of the quotes on hand, but he kind of like... If I recall correctly, his argument was that you, you essentially have to go down on the level of criminals to like fight those criminals sometimes. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's what I think Miles's deal was. Mm-hmm. Like he still thinks of himself as the law, but it's more of a kind of a law of the jungle type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Miles is fascinating because of his gold alamancy, like the two people within him. Because um, like he can sense like the old him would hate the current him. And like the whole dichot, that is a fascinating thing to deal with, with in your psychology. It's like gold and um, meladium um, play very well, I think, into gothic. And, and so that's mm-hmm. an example, I think, of Brandon using a very gothic element, um, but not in a gothic horror way. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he's kind of stolen just like that. The idea of the, the two selves and you're potentially less than um, is very cool. I also think gothic is a lot about failure. Um, both personal failure and then the failure of atmosphere. So like they're talking about the ruined cathedral, something that's well constructed, but is falling apart. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a more like European tradition, Um, like in American Gothic literature, it's the um, but the like the post uh, Civil War, like um, where you had a lot of wealthy families in the South who all of a sudden were not very wealthy, uh, like the decrepit manor, right? Like mm-hmm. that it's a well-constructed uh, house um, that was once full of fine things that is now things are getting sold off and falling by the wayside. Um, so it's again a failure. Um, and the marriage of those personal failures, failures and those atmospheric failures, I think, is really interesting but brandon i can't think like i think like the roughs and like the miles stuff is the closest he gets to that i can't and and shadows for silence maybe but i'm having trouble mm-hmm. i some other ones i want to suggest the devars <gasps> yes lindavar oh they're a great example yeah whereas like like 
from the outside is like this happy little family from the country, but like it's thick inside. And, and under, like, yeah, that mask. Yeah. And they all have mm-hmm. their, their sicknesses that are hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the, the Devars are, yeah. What's going on in the Devar house is definitely has some Gothic elements, mm-hmm. which suits with Shalon, how, you know, and all her identity, uh, personality, self mm-hmm. struggles of self. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does fit. She carries that on even in into rhythm of war with her relationship with Adeline. She's she she keeps going. If he knew who I really was, he would hate me. He would leave me. They would all leave me. Deep down inside, I am awful. I am a bad person. That's the very core of her in rhythm of war. That she believes that. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's been making me think of a lot of kind of character moments that touch on Odium in some ways. Mm-hmm. The entire concept of absolving yourself of responsibility, saying all of these awful things that I am doing or will do or have done, they were never my fault. Uh, it was all external. I am... I don't think any, I don't think like Dalinar or Moash are ever thinking they are weak, but they think of themselves like, this is what it means to be human. Like, mm-hmm. you fail sometimes and you give in to external influences sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I wouldn't say that, uh, that that goes into horror territory, but it plays with similar themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think, again, one of the issues for why this doesn't come a lot explicitly in Brandon's works, even though he's playing with some of the elements, is that optimism about Mm -hmm. people overcoming their failures. Um, You know, most like classic gothic tales end in a a succumbing, you know, like they they don't overcome. Um, Dalinar doesn't say no. Um, <laughs> in Oathbringer, um, mm-hmm. but he does because this is a Brandon story. So it's uh, yeah, not not something I, I see him playing with. But mm-hmm. you you could do some fun stuff with like a an, a post catacender impoverished noble family. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe we combine this with our monster wraith story. They're on the fringes of the, you know, empire, sitting on their like ancestral land, and they're like, the world's been remade without us, and we're isolated, and something's killing things. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. Mistborn is a rich setting for horror. I think is what I'm realizing mm-hmm. talking through a lot of these things, but I'm not sure Brandon is gonna take advantage of that because he's steering things in other directions. Mm-hmm. Maybe if Miss or if this theoretical noble family is like, well, humanity all sucks and we're all doomed. There's this monster wraith hunting us. We're all doomed anyway. And it's not like I can get any morally worse. 
Might as well stay alive another day by feeding a family member to the monster. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do our next genre, shall we? Sure. Um, oh, I just thought of the ruined city of Elantris is very gothic in terms of like a setting. So mm, that, yeah. not, not much to comment on that, but it just popped into my head. As yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it also kind of ties into disaster horror in that it is a kind of post-apocalyptic version of the um, city of the gods, right? Mm -hmm. um, so disaster horror um, are adventures where the world has fallen to ruin, not mm -hmm. capital R ruin, but it very well could be. Or it's getting there fast. Uh, the unthinkable has happened, and as a result, society is collapsing. In these tales, a monster or villain might be replaced by cascading catastrophes, like those brought about by a meteor strike or volcanic eruption. Regardless of a hero's power, the best time critical hit or the most powerful spell might not be enough to fix a city ruined by an earthquake or a world ravaged by plagues. Um, the disasters in disaster horror don't need to be natural. They can be magical, um, temporal shifts, violent interplanar conflicts, um, might sow all manner of supernatural chaos. Wars and relentless monster horrors, legions of zombies or fiends can also cause region or world changing ruin. In all these cases, the society breaks down. Uh, there's no inns to sleep in. The healers are few or overtaxed. Uh, anarchy rises as governments crumble. Environmental hazards are more extreme and might lead to scarcity of food or other resources. Scared innocents, opportunistic scavengers, leaderless military forces all seek to survive. Hopeless acts of others might even prove more horrifying than the provoking disaster. Um, common elements or questions to ask are what is the disaster? Is it natural or supernatural? Um, is it the effect of a terrifying weapon or a war of endless throngs of monsters? Um, is the disaster somehow manufactured? Is there a cause behind it? Is there a place that's somehow spared from the disaster, a safe haven? What parts of society have collapsed? Are most common people trying to ride out the disaster or are they fleeing in search of safety? Uh, who is taking advantage or benefiting from the disaster? Are they normal people, monsters or another threat? Does everyone believe in the danger? Are there some deniers or has the disaster been, been given rise to extreme behaviors, paranoia, cults, uh, cannibalism? And will the world ever be the same again? Mm. Well, I'm getting some COVID vibes from this. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to think about such things. A good example for this, I think, is um, pre catacendra Scadrial, like the final empire. It's like, yes, like the whole Ash Mounts thing definitely thinks, but like we saw that at a point where society had stabilized. Mm -hmm. But like after the Lord Ruler's um, death, the collapse, and then when the mists start coming during the day, 
like society does start to really break down at that point. And like Vin and Elend, all of our heroes are trying to hold everything together. But it's like, as we said, like, does everyone believe in the danger? No, like they're dealing with people that don't. Including people who think the Lord Lure is just going to come back. Mm -hmm. And I think a key point with disaster horror is there needs to be an impending or continuing threat. The the deepness I, or the miss, I think, is a great example of this. Um, and Elendi mm -hmm. sets it up great in his logbook. And then we, we see the effects of it as it kind of literally closes in on, on them. Um, mm -hmm. And it also has the other side of it, which is the horror of the human response. Um, like with the rise of the citizen in your... Or, Urto. 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 I don't mm. think I've ever said that out loud before. I've <laughs> it's it's like Urto, um, but it's Urto. Urto, yeah, um, yeah. Like as his charismatic personality and the kind of the the, the very violent reaction um, as Ruin takes over. You know, Penrod's ruining of Luthadel um, mm. and the kind of extremes that happen there um yeah it's a, checks a lot of boxes one example i thought of was actually the city of lux in the reckoners okay. universe which is very much mm -hmm. a post-apocalyptic setting and lux is at least on the outside set up to be this safe haven essentially place where mm -hmm. uh the apocalypse has not reached place where the old status quo is maintained and obviously, as we get more in there, we find out that things are not as rosy as they appear on the literal surface of the planet. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's one example where we do have this safe haven idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like, I, I do like that idea that um, Matt Rose, uh, it's the impending disaster that adds to the horror. Because like, humans adapt, and it's like, eventually, it's like, society adjusts as long as people survive um, society adjusts and it just becomes the new normal um, yeah that's why i wouldn't put the first book in the mistborn series in this category mm -hmm. because like you said like the the disaster has passed people have adapted it, it is post-apocalyptic we know there was a disaster in the past we receive hints mm -hmm. of it in the log book but it's not until the later two books when that becomes the the pressing antagonist rather than just the the mm -hmm. the background. Um, I do like that disaster horror uses a more uh, passive antagonist, like not a the the antagonistic force isn't necessarily a character or a a person. It's mm -hmm. uh, a force or um, or human nature or human nature. Which is, yeah, something, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, and it, it's different from Cosmic Horror. It's like this fast, unknowable thing mm -hmm. that is still, like, aware. It's like, yeah. dis um, disaster, it's, like, completely unthinking. Like, it's a fact of, it's a force of nature. Like, yeah. it, it, it has no opinions one way or the other. It's just going to do its thing. Yeah, like the the Shayad, I think mm -hmm. it, in some ways is a, a the 
the breaking of the Shayad, I should, or I yeah, guess mm-hmm. the, the, the Riyad. The Riyad. The Riyad. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, final Elantrian word um, <laughs> is because uh, it's a continuing thing. Like it keeps on going, um, claiming mm-hmm. people, um, threat they just can't, can't, can't fight. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you have the human nature, um, like the scarcity um, society within yeah. the city. Mm-hmm. I think a story told in the days or weeks after the Riyod would have very much fallen into into disaster horror category, right? Mm-hmm. You have, on one hand, the fall of grace of the Elantrians, and on the other, what must have been just complete and utter chaos in the rest of Aerolon, but especially in the cities around Elantrius, where... Mm-hmm. People are rioting, they're bringing the false gods down, there are beatings and murders and thievery and all those sorts of fun things. Yeah, if eternity ended yesterday instead of eternity ending 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Matter of perspective. Yeah. Which perspective Mm -hmm. is a lot of what horror is. Like, that's what we're identifying, Mm -hmm. like... A lot of these later ones, we haven't actually found brand ways Brandon's used them directly, but where he's using elements from a different perspective that makes it not mm-hmm. horror. So psychological horror. Psychological horror stories create suspense by heightening or calling into question characters' states of mind, emotions, and perceptions. They often highlight the difference between what characters think and how they behave. When creating adventures rooted in psychological horror, consider common fears and anxieties. These readily become metaphors for villains and monsters. Fear of being judged by one's peers might manifest as as a jury of nothics. While fear of change could be represented by a Medusa that petrifies those who challenge her community's status quo. (laughs) Uncertainty, paranoia, and blurred lines between reality and fiction also shape psychological horror stories. In your adventures, this might take the form of unreliable information. Characters might experience something, only to wake up at the end not having previously realized they were asleep. Before undermining their senses, make sure you know what's driving these skewed perceptions and how characters might overcome them. If some force is actively trying to cause stress for characters, this might lead to a psychological horror adventure. Be aware that some classic psychological horror takes stigmatized mental or tales stigmatize mental illness. Work to avoid such tropes in your adventures as you consider the following questions. What are characters afraid of? Are, pe- are people afraid of losing their memories? Is a fighter afraid of growing old? Um, does a religious person fear that their god is a lie? If every monster is a stand-in for something people fear, what do your favorite monsters embody? In kind of a D&D sense. Mm-hmm. Why might a character think everyone around them is lying to them? Might this be paranoia, an actual conspiracy, or both? Who or what could pull the strings of such a plot? How can the environment change to undermine characters' sense of reality? The mists already play into this, as could structures with no doors and stairs with no end. But what else might? Mm-hmm. So I think a good way of... Or a good example... Kind of good example of this is what Moash and Odium do, or, and mm-hmm. Rays do to Kaladin in Rhythm of War, how they 
alter his already deteriorating mental state and kind of send him awful dreams where like nothing ever ends and it's just kind of an endless storm kind of thing but not like a high storm and where he's just he he can't get out there's kind of no hope and Kaladin's mental state in general kind of can and men mental illnesses in general can be used to portray psychological horror in good and bad ways you can you can do it respectfully in some cases and show how mental illnesses can really hurt people and really be serious and you can also do it in ways that make the people with the mental disorders the threats or in ways that do not respect them kind of mm -hmm. i think kaladin is a is a more respectful way to portray psychological horror yeah. And and what contributes to that very effectively, I think, is that all of these nightmares that he's being tormented with and by are, they are very much in line with the kind of thinking that we know Kaladin already has. He blames himself for the deaths of these around him, and he blames himself for surviving when others don't. And he blames himself for not being able to save the people uh, that he's trying to protect. And so when, when these nightmares come, they play into exactly the same fears and worries that he has in his waking life. Some of which are just his character, but some of which are, um, as Seal calls it, his dark brain um, pushing his thoughts in an unhealthy direction and now these nightmares are taking exactly the same thing they're taking his depression and exaggerating it in a magical way sure but still along the same lines that his regular thoughts go mm -hmm. um which is why i think this is this is a great example of of mm -hmm. of this thing working out I, I think a key thing for me that jumps out of that description we read is the importance of reality being questioned or breaking down uh, to really underscore that feeling of psychological horror. And so Kaladin, the moments when Kaladin isn't quite sure what's real or like his perception is being clouded or altered by, by Moash, his efforts or, or raises efforts. And who else this comes up for in a maybe less positive way at first is uh, Shalon. Um, her plotline, if handled indelicately, her plotline with her personality disorder could have been a badly handled uh, psychological mm -hmm. horror. And the reason why I think it could be that is... In Kaladin's case, his depression is like a pre-existing condition that makes him more vulnerable or makes it more complicated for him to deal with the external threat, um, the horror um, that's being enacted on him. 
in Shalon's case, her mental illness almost is or could be the horror, like the antagonistic force, right? That yeah. is making her lose a grip on reality. Um, which is why I think the ending of Rhythm of War is important. Well, and also the ending of Oathbringer, too. Like, both of them kind of have these moments of acceptance of her, <laughs> of Radiant and Vale in different ways. And so I, I think that's how Brandon avoids going this route. But I think her character and plotline very well could have been taken down this, like, loss of reality, loss of self, not sure <laughs> what's real, what's not, blurred lines... Um, yeah, Shalon is the thought I had um, while reading this, and it's like I agree that if that plotline had been handled poorly, it would have become psychological horror. Or if like Brandon like tried to go the psychological horror route, it would have caused that plotline to fail. It's like I think it's very important that like this Shalon's arc is not psychological horror. Yes. But like, yeah, it's like the whole thing with formless is like, I could, I can see the pathway like Brandon could have gone. Yeah. Um, to well, really and, and formless, like, there's a lot of trappings of psychological horror in Shellen's mm -hmm. plotline. You know, when she's questioning, did I kill ILA or not? Mm -hmm. Like, who, is pattern like, the spy? Like, is who pattern is the spy? spy? Am I this? You, you know, like those mm -hmm. questions and the not trusting yourself is a very psychological horror thing. Um, but yeah, I think Brandon had to be very careful with that to avoid Shallon's mental illness becoming the antagonist. Because I think that's where it falls into kind of demonizing people or, yeah, like it. And <laughs> I would say this this in a much kind of lighter and smaller form dates all the way back to the Way of Kings, where one of the most memorable scenes for me in the book, especially when we talk about horror, is the scene where Shalan first sees the cryptics. And it's mm. kind of an extended sequence where she's running through the Palaneum and every now and then she would she would turn around, she would take a memory. Obviously, she wouldn't see anything um, with her regular sight. But then as her memory is capturing things from the cognitive realm, essentially, and she quickly sketches things on her notepad, there are these strange alien figures that are getting closer and closer and closer to her until the scene where she ultimately so casts a goblet into blood where where they are literally over her kind of kind of which is a terrifying experience to see right and this yeah. plays with the whole distortion of reality so well and it mm -hmm. is so effective and i love it so much and why it works too is that instance of her reality perception of reality failing isn't tied to her mental illness. Like it's mm -hmm. it's an ex it, it's her her bond and her being a like proto or who knows what Shalon's status is. Um, he's kind She's of being Shalon at that stage. Um, yeah. But it's that instead of uh, her mental illness that's causing the breakdown in reality. And yeah, mm -hmm. like the. 
the imagery of like the the pictures showing something that's not there um feels very psychological horror you can almost imagine a horror movie where a protagonist has to use mirrors to yeah. see what is actually happening around them and and oh, that totally. place very much the same thing and yeah the the questioning or just or cameras yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's like take pictures and... yep we have all those it would, i'm sure we have an entire trope around people oh, yeah taking photos and oh you see a ghost in the background of the photo mm-hmm. yeah another i'm just realizing how much of a like shallan could go a real horror route um <laughs> like this is maybe more tying into the the gothic thing we talked about earlier with the the var family but the like lullaby from words of radiance mm-hmm. and like Shalon, like the little girl, like killing her her mother, and the like. Uh, there's a lot of really creepy horror elements that Brandon's playing mm-hmm. with with the Devars, actually, um, psychological, gothic, and uh, otherwise. Um, it's but yeah, one of her I brothers about the is lullaby a now. <laughs> Another brother is torturing animals. Yeah. So the final trope we'll discuss is slasher horror, everybody's favorite subgenre. Whoa, I love slashers. Mm -hmm. So every monster is a story, and many of those stories are are horror stories. This brand of horror contends with relentless killers, which might be people or monsters. These adventures revel in grisly details, the suspense of an impending showdown with a powerful foe, and the fear that death waits right around the corner. Adventures of this genre typically include one major antagonist that threatens a group. This might be a particularly large or cunning beast, a murderer who terrorizes a neighborhood, a monster stalking a town, or a supernatural menace who spreads a signature sort of death. Also consider who the villain's targets are and why the villain has chosen to prey upon that group. Is it out of hunger or for revenge? Or does the creature have a more deep-seated need to kill? Also consider the following questions. Who is the monster or slasher? How do they kill? What has made them infamous? Why is a community defenseless against the killer? In what shocking ways does the killer use its power? How does the killer avoid capture? Does the killer think it's justified? What characters in your story exist only to be victims? What climactic event is sure to tempt the killer into the open? There's... Brandon doesn't really do a lot of slasher horror. No. But I did actually... I thought of something that could almost be slasher horror. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were reading it, but then doesn't quite hit because, again, Brandon likes his tone more optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um... Shalan and, and Kaladin down in the chasms, hiding from oh, chasm fiends, oh, trying yeah. to get out. I could pretty easily see that being slasher horror if it weren't for mm-hmm. all their, like, banter and character <laughs> moments. And, mm-hmm. Like, if you took out that, it's it's pretty close. The chasms are a, a good environment for that. And chasm mm-hmm. fiends are a beast that they're trying to hide from that just wants to kill them and... So it's it's yeah, kind of close. I I think that's a pretty good example, like yeah. of of slash of what could be slasher. 
or monster horror. Yeah, um, totally. Something I was going to suggest is the pursuer. Like it's the relentless. a relentless killer that keeps coming back. Um, yeah. But also it's like with the what climactic event is sure to tempt the killer into the open is like Kaladin does a strut through the streets of Earth to draw the pursuer's attention. Like, yeah. The one I think of is Palm, like I said, near the opening. Yep. Um, I think she fits a lot of these uh, things, especially as you learn more about what, what she is um, mm -hmm. in Shadows of Self. Um, we also might see this, Brandon has said, the next Mistborn trilogy might contain a Mistborn serial killer. Yep. Um, so um, maybe he'll play with some of these tropes uh, then. Yeah, Ble Bleeder is the one I had in mind as well. Um, obviously, we don't dwell into the actual, like, uh, mutilations and sli and slashing mm -hmm. of slasher, right? But we do have this killer who is on the loose, who is staying ahead of our heroes and, and murdering people in her wake. Um, but we do see the corpse of the survivorist yeah. priest, like yep. the hands all red. Yeah. Oh, well, like the see. whole taking the body parts from each person, like that's mm -hmm. like classic slasher content mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think so any final thoughts about slasher monster horror or horror as a whole for the episode horror is neat <laughs> fair it's like and i think i've realized brandon uses horror a lot more than i thought he did um mm -hmm. thinking through this but it's just because it's not recognizable as horror elements often because of the contents, context and perspective he's using to frame it. Um, so yeah, when you break it down it, into the. It's like we said at the beginning to bring it full circle, genre is artificial. And so you can say this is what makes horror horror. But Brandon can go and have a book that contains all those things that is not a horror book. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. He uses it as a spice, not as a main dish. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's more or less where I was leaning in as well, right? Um, we talked about how body and cosmic horror are kind of the main subgenres of horror that Brandon uses. And then, but, but obviously, like, none of his books are body horror or cosmic horror or any kind of horror. Like, we're just using elements of these um mm. and even though these two are the most dominant um they're not dominating in a way right mm. and then all of the others are you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take this element from here and this little element from there and we'll just we'll make the story more varied with mm -hmm. them well i hope everyone enjoyed this episode but it's time for Who's That Cosmere Character? This character is from Roshar. Menace. Yeah. Tom. Braze. Void in drag on a horse. <laughs> it's time for Who's That Cosmere Character? Ta. 
you know how the game is played. You send five clues and a character to WTCC at 17chart.com. We read the clues aloud, and after each clues, these panelists have a chance to guess who's that Cosmic character. And since I'm hosting, this gives them all a fighting chance. Oh. So this first one is from Al the Chicken. Okay. The first clue is, this character is religious slash superstitious. Uh, I'm going to guess a character that I was going to bring up earlier in one of the subgenres where we talked about religious people who get disillusioned of their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, say that. It is not say that. Slow Swift. It is not Slow Swift. Deep cut. I like it. I'm going off of, I think they're trying to lead us in a wrong direction, potentially. Um, and I'm going to say Navani. It is not Navani. Second question. This character has met Skadrians and Drosharans. Oh, boy. Naz. It is not Naz. Good guess, though. It's a weird clue. It's not Dalinar? It is not Dalinar. Hmm. Yeah, funny enough, I was thinking Dalinar as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, religious, Mets, Kadrians, and Rosharans. I don't know, Felt. It is not Felt. This character senses the dark days coming. Kind of just like a quote. Hoid? It is not Hoid. Okay, good. Oh, it's um Oh shoot. What's his name? Um He's the viewpoint from the interlude in the Pure Lake. Um who the Ishik? It is Ishik. Um, and I that gets the point. Clue number four was this character thinks that foreigners are always in a rush. And clue number one? five was this character likes fish. This next one is from Vuk on Discord. This character doesn't appear in some versions of this story. Oh boy. The girl who looked up's mother. It is not the girl who looked up's mother. So. That's where I went as well. (laughs) The girl who looked up. And I was thinking like the people she meets in the original version of the story that Shalan tells, right? Because she she goes around and she asks a bunch of people about the wall. uh, But I don't remember any of those people. Um, the Mad Prince. It is not the Mad Prince, but Damn. I like the direction you're going. Hard. Um, does not appear in some versions. Imagine if it's one of the Warbreaker priests. Yeah. That got 
consolidated into a different priest in the leather bound. I was wondering about actually taking this a different way. Um, Vasher. Because he's so many different characters. Like he's Warbreaker, he's Khaled, he's... Peacegiver. It is not Vasher. In any of his incarnations. Clue number two. This character is mentioned in the versions that they don't appear in. Mm, so this is a very weird and meta one, I think. Um, That's not this story. Mishim. Mm. No. It is not Mishim. Oh. And the story, is this uh, like one of the books or is it like one of the stories within a story? Um, very interesting. I will. I have, th this care. This person specifically said, "Be lenient when they ask for clarification." <laughs> okay. Thank this you. is a really hard and confusing one, and that is why I, there is a bonus clue. By the way, um, oh, but I think they will like this when they get to it in twenty twenty five. We're yeah. beating your prediction, Vuk. By multiple years. By multiple years. So I will say it is a Brandon published story. So when they're saying this story, they mean a Brandon published one. Yes. Okay. Not a story within a story. In some versions, they don't appear. Oh, in. no. I haven't read The Way of Kings Prime. <laughs> Neither have we. Is it? I, yeah. <laughs> is it Hoyd? It is not Hoyd. Hmm. You can have so so many meta clues around Hoyd and and which Hoyd you're talking about. And I guess Susabron, the God King. It is not Susabron the Cod King. Okay. Clue number three. The clue as written is, this is a viewpoint character. I am going to rephrase that to, in this story, there is text from this character's viewpoint. Frost. It is not Frost. Edgley? It is not Edgley. Roshek. It is not Roshek. Clue number four. This character is never seen on screen in any installment of this story that is published. <sighs> I think There's we need all the clues, clues again. Okay. This character doesn't appear in some versions of the story. Clue number two, this character is mentioned in the versions that they don't appear in. Clue number three, there is text from this character's viewpoint. Four, this character is never seen on screen in any installment that is published. This is a weird one, and I, I, I don't think you're going to like it. I'm just going to... 
I think you're going to ca- call shenanigans at this point. Uh, Jack Sun Nun. It is not Jack Sun Nun. The parrot. <laughs> really getting to the bottom of my well of obscure guesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gonna... This isn't my guess, so don't react to it. Part of me really wants to say a Lendy just because I'll be really choked if it is a Lendy and I didn't guess it, but I really don't think it is based on the clues. Um... Yeah, I wouldn't say he appears in any version of the story. Exactly. Well, I was like, maybe it's like if like because Rayshek tells the story that he's the hero, you know, or. I yeah, I'm not sure it it doesn't work. This guess doesn't work either, but I'm going to guess it. Is it Alamancer Jack? It is not Alamancer Jack. Katie, do you have a guess? requires a lot of fudging of clue four and i'll be irritated if this is it but is it the stick it is not the stick oh thank god good clue number five and do you remember there is a bonus sixth clue this character presumably does appear on screen in some other installments that brandon never published oh for the love of this white sand oh it is totally um, oh what that, that wasn't a character guess. That was. A- yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah. you said something. Sorry. I'm like, it is not that, but that was not a character. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, that wasn't a. <sighs> this is gonna be some dragon stew. I haven't read a lot of his like unpublished stuff, and I feel like mm-hmm. this is gonna. <sighs> and it, this is who's that Cosmere character, right? Like it has yes. to be Cosmere. And I, I will further care. Clarify this question. The installments have not been published. They might not have ever been written. Oh, we're we're going in deep. Yeah. Oh, oh that's not This is going to be some some weird ass wob where Brendan's like, here's a story I could write. Yeah, this is a character that appears in Wob only, I think. Um, <laughs> or is mentioned elsewhere, but has text from their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. We guessed Frost, Canonical right? text. Yes, I think we so. When you say text from their viewpoint, do you mean we know mm-hmm. their opinions and views on things, or is it straight up from their point of view? <laughs> Because I can think of... I, I will say it's from their point of view in that it's their own words. So they are expressing their thoughts and opinions on things. May I ask Ooh. when this was sent in? Uh, January 9th. Of this year? Uh, uh, presumably, because it's not given me a year in this screenshot okay. of an email. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna guess. Mention inversions, they don't appear in viewpoint text. Not on screen for any. Mm-hmm. I am trying to remember, like, anything from Liar of Partnell. Yeah. I will say, as a bonus, bonus clue, one of you has gotten very close. Oh, that's not. Fudge. Um... I have an idea. <laughs> um... I'm. 
<laughs> I'm gonna shoot out Aeronat from Dragonsteel, mentioned in, like, in Wobs. No, it is not that person. Okay. Bottom of the well right here. Mm-hmm. They have been mentioned. That's not just a Dragonsteel thing. Okay, I'm not. I'm going to guess a Lendy just to cross it off. <laughs> it is not a Lendy. Okay, good. Let's and Evgeny, I'll give you a bonus hint because I don't remember. Like, if you guessed, I don't remember what your guess was. Uh, no, I, I must have guessed like some weird, yeah. obscure thing. So, okay. Bonus clue number six. This character Wait. is Terrace. Did we, did we get clue five? Yes, we were just on clue five. Which what, what clue, was five clue five was um, this character presumably does appear on screen in some other installments that Brandon never published. Oh, or yeah. maybe didn't one. write. Handerwim, Handerwim, whatever the it uh... is. Handerwim, Alamancer Jack Stewart. Who oh writes my god! Footnotes. Oh, who writes the? Oh, oh god. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's. Oh, of course. Wait, but it does not appear in some version of versions of this story. That's in world, isn't it? That is out of. Mm, it's. It depends if you think he's not published in some versions of his footnotes aren't published in some versions of the stories. The in world that is one of the shenanigans things. <laughs> I if you read the story without the footnotes, like Lucy did in the her overlady reads. I mean, they are, that is a version of the story, a much worse version of the story, if you don't have the footnotes. <laughs> I, I think they're sure. there. I just don't think she knew where to find them. Yeah, they were all like at the end and like not an easy way to read. I think. That, that's how Kindle works. Like you have to tap on the footnote thing and it takes mm-hmm. you to the end of the book and then you have to go back. Mm-hmm. And then <sighs> we have one more from the Patreon priority queue. If you want to see yours a bit earlier than 2025, can't guarantee on the main main feed. So this is from Lyriel. This character is a very complex person. Shalon. It is not Shalon. Roshek. It is not Roshek. To be clear, this is a joke and not my actual guess. Nightblood, definitely the most (laughs) complex person who ever was. Mm-hmm. Not single dimension though at all. Okay. Yeah, actual actual guess. <laughs> actual guess, Vasher. It is not Vasher. Clue number two: This character has simple yet honest beauty and wit. Pattern. It is not pattern. Steris. It is not Steris. Siri. It is not Siri. This character has dark eyes. Well, that ruins my design guess. Blush Weaver. It is not Blush Weaver. Oh, I really liked that one. With mm-hmm. second. Belder? Beldry? Beldra. It is not Beldra. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to forfeit you this pass. Guess. Yeah. Okay. Clue number four. This character is paranoid. Weird. Paranoid and dark eyes. Dusk. 
Um, I believe that's Dusk and Naz from the two of Gaz. you. Gaz. Gaz. Okay. It is not Gaz, and it is not Dusk. Vin? It is Vin. Oh. Clue number five was this character is frighteningly vulnerable. And these are all descriptions from the point of view of Ellen in Well of Ascension Chapter 3. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm-hmm. But first cute. of all, how dare you send a main character on the show? <laughs> I always mm-hmm. like those. That's a fun mm-hmm. way to do it, like taking like actual descriptions mm-hmm. from other characters. Um, that's, yeah. that's clever. Yeah, I enjoy these last two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you all for watching. You can find us at 17thshard.com for all the news, discussion, theories, and fun that you can ever desire. We have Discord. You can check us out there. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and you can like us on YouTube. Leave us a comment of your scariest moment in Brandon's books, or maybe your favorite type of horror that we listed. Are there any kinds that you think are important that we didn't mention? And of course, you can leave us a review on iTunes. See you all next time. Bye. My scariest moment is the realization that we might not get a sequel to Warbreaker. Hmm. Ah. <laughs> it's a spooky, ah. ghostly car mm-hmm. from, from, from the, the other side. From the, from the beyond, beyond. Yes, the, other, the other side. <laughs>